I'm Lindsay Smith, host of Unrivaled's Inside the Jersey podcast, the podcast where athletes share their journey to becoming pros and the passions that fuel them outside of their sport. Today, our guest is Alec Mills, pitcher for the Chicago Cubs with a storybook journey from being a walk-on in college to having his name etched in the history books. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get things started by welcoming in Alec. Alec, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited to do this. So. Absolutely. All right. Well, you know where we have to start. September 13th, 2020, you no-hit the Milwaukee Brewers at Miller Park, marking just the 16th no-hitter in Cubs franchise history and one of just 305 in Major League Baseball history. Do you think you'll ever get tired of talking about that day? <laughs> you know, I think it's a yes and no answer. Obviously, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of talking about myself a whole lot or anything like that. So I think that's the yes portion. But uh, at the same time, no. I mean, I think when you when you say those numbers, it really puts it into perspective. It's, it still really hasn't settled in yet, kind of what happened or, or, or what I did. You know, I think it's best put into words for me. I think I sat on the couch with my wife after the game that night and just kind of looked at her and was like, what the heck just happened? Like, it was just like, Oh my goodness. Like, how did this happen? I'm forever thankful for, for everything that came together, you know, a little bit of skill, a little bit of luck, you know, a lot of help from the team, but uh, obviously a day that I'll never forget. Yeah. It's, it's a huge, huge accomplishment. So I'm curious when, when you look back, was there anything about that morning that felt different or maybe that you did differently? <laughs> no, I mean, I think for me, it's just trying to keep every day the same. Yeah, I think it was a day game. If I'm, I should know this, but I'm pretty sure it was. So it was kind of an earlier morning uh, to get out of bed and and to eat and get breakfast. Um, usually, I try to eat a pretty good bit before the game, just because if I try to eat closer to, I really can't eat too much. You know, the stomach's a little more uneasy. I think a pretty normal day. I don't think really anything was weird or, or, or different that kind of was like, okay, something weird's happening today or anything like that. So kind of a boring answer, but so it felt pretty normal. What was your interaction with your catcher, Victor Caratini, like during that game? Well, you know, for the game, we uh, had the normal scouting report meeting, uh, you know, talking about hitters, you know, the plan of attack and stuff like that. Uh, and then during the game was pretty normal early on, you know, after the first, second, third, fourth inning, you know, had our little talks in between, you know, how we want to attack the next inning, who's the hitters coming up, where we think we can uh, really get guys out. And then I think, you know, as, as more as the game went on, we kind of, I, I, I guess I really noticed he, he stopped talking to me after about the sixth inning, you know, I think he kind of sat about 10 feet away instead of right beside me. I think at that point I'd realized what was going on. I was okay with it. And, and I think it's kind of a thing that, that people do. They don't want to be the guy that jinxes it or, or tells him something or that isn't maybe something that'll help down the road. But, uh, you know, I think it was pretty normal up until about the end. And then I think we didn't talk talk to each other until after the game. So it was kind of crazy. Did you guys talk about not talking at that point after <laughs> the game was over? Well, no, not after the game. We didn't really uh, say too much about that. It was kind of just my first interaction with him probably outside of like the fifth inning was when we hugged on the mound afterwards. So that was kind of crazy, a special moment. And, and hopefully that, uh, you know, he realizes how much he helped me and carried me through that day. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. How much of a role did he play in the success of that game? I think I, I can attribute most of it to him, honestly. I mean, I think we got on the same page early. 
Um, and, you know, Willie, Willie's the same way, Contreras. You know, him and, him and Vic really work hard at, you know, having a good game plan and, and really, you know, kind of taking the game out of our hands. And, and if it's something where I can just, you know, shake every time, I don't have to worry about shaking them off and just say yes every time, then I think it helps me, you know, stay in the groove and, and really just worry about location instead of, you know, the type of pitch. So we got on the same page early and, and just, yeah, I think he had a good idea of what he wanted to do. And I think he had faced the Brewers a little bit more than I had. So maybe he had a little bit more experience with that. But, you know, I think I definitely leaned on him, especially late in the game when, when things were kind of getting tight, maybe a little nerve started kicking in. So he was definitely uh, there for me and the calming presence that I needed. And to celebrate the historic moment, you had watches made for you and Victor. It is tradition. How did you decide on Oris watches and what did you want to have inscribed? You know, I think the tradition is typically a Rolex, but, uh, you know, I think I kind of got on the Rolex website and I'm like, man, this might cost me uh, quite a bit of money, maybe a couple paychecks worth for me. So kind of looked on some other watches and stuff like that. I actually tripped upon the website Oris and I actually saw they had a Roberto Clemente watch coming out that they were doing a special edition. And I think we just had Roberto Clemente Day. It was either right before or right after it happened. Um, And, you know, Victor's from Puerto Rico. So I think that was really special uh, day for him. And he was actually able to wear the number 21. So I think he was really excited about that. And when I saw that watch, it was definitely something that was perfect for him. So I uh, actually got into contact with them. And actually Ian Happ actually helped me out a lot with that too. He had a contact with them that helped. But they were able to, uh, you know, kind of fit an engraving on the back. Because the back of the watch is actually where the Roberto Clemente, like, this patch is what you would call it, but it was engraved onto the metal part was. So they were actually kind of able to fit in there. It said, Victor Caratini, uh, Mills no-hitter, and the date. Funny story about that, I actually was talking to them, and they're like, well, what do you want engraved on it? And I think Hap was included in the conversation. I'm like, uh, I have no idea. I've never done this before. And so Hap actually texted Lester. John Lester was like, hey, what do you have on yours? And he sent a picture. So that helped a lot just to kind of, see what what guys do for that so that was kind of a funny story about that too yeah it seems like it kind of just fell into place there like perfect timing perfect website perfect oris watch everything yeah the watch was awesome and it was a beautiful watch so uh you know hopefully he uh uh you know really really enjoys it and and wears it because it uh, like i said it was a beautiful watch yes they are beautiful watches now for our listeners who aren't familiar Oris is an independent Swiss watch company making purely mechanical watches for over 115 years. They're focused on bringing change for the better, like working with nonprofits, such as the Roberto Clemente Foundation for this limited edition piece. Oris is a longtime favorite of people who know watches because of what they represent and at prices that make sense. For more information, check out Oris at oris.ch. That's O-R-I-S. So I'm sure there was a lot going on after the game ended, but when you think back on it now, what was the most memorable post-game moment for you? Maybe that, that small thing that just stands out to you that not a lot of people really noticed. I think uh, how much the team enjoyed it with me, I think, was really special to me. I think getting... I guess not really a dog pile, but kind of a mob on the mound was, was awesome. And, you know, watching back videos, seeing everybody's faces running in and how much they were really excited for me and excited to be part of that moment was, was definitely special for me. I think I wouldn't have been anywhere without them that day. So after the, after the game on the mound was special. And then uh, I was on the uh, uh, field interviewed 
uh, a couple of different times. So I was out there about 10 or 15 minutes extra. And then uh, when I got to the top of the dugout in Milwaukee, the, uh, the locker room's like, you know, 15 steps away from the top of the dugout. So I kind of heard them, oh, here he comes, here he comes. And I ran in there and then uh, kind of the same type of thing, just, just somewhat of a mob and they, they had a beer shower waiting for me. So that was definitely uh, special and it gives me chills thinking about it right now. But uh, I think for them just to be as excited about it as I was, was, was definitely something I'll never forget. What else did you do to celebrate? I know I saw on your Twitter, you have a custom putter now and uh, some National Baseball Hall of Fame uh, recognition there as well. Yeah, so I guess I can start with the story right after the game. We got home um, and my wife and, and, and little man met me. That was awesome to see them and, and to see his smile and everything was, was pretty special after the game. But we got back and she actually ordered Pequod's Pizza. So it's a deep dish pizza in Chicago. Uh, it's my favorite pizza in Chicago now after that night, after we tried it. It's just really good. And the way they like kind of burn the edges, I don't know what they, they probably have a certain word for it, but it's just, it was really good. So that night, that's how we celebrated. For me, you know, my agency actually was kind of already in contact with people about getting stuff done. And I believe Bettinardi actually contacted me about doing some sort of commemorative putter for it. So that was really cool, uh, you know, especially for me, especially since uh, Bettinardi is, is a Chicago company, I believe. So they were excited to, to kind of mock something up and they sent me a couple different drawings and had me choose. So obviously that's a moment or a, a piece of history that I'll, you know, I'll always be able to have and can kind of use on the golf course every time and, and maybe show off when, uh, you know, when I'm playing with different people. But so I have several things like that. Um, I think Jack Daniels actually sent out a bunch of bottles to everybody on the team they etched in the glass like their name and the date and, and no hitter so that was really cool and really awesome of them awesome of them to do that i mean like you said the uh, the hall of fame took a baseball and then my hat from it so that'll always be there so that's pretty cool you know one day i can you know maybe 10 15 years down the road take little man to the hall of fame and show him that's my hat and that's my ball that i use during the game so that's definitely pretty cool when you think about being able to do that in 10 to 15 years is it hard not to smile yeah, I mean, I think that's when I'll be able to really, you know, realize what I've done. Like, I think it still hasn't settled in yet what, what really has happened. And I think maybe when I get to go there and see that and, and share it with my son and my wife later on, I think that's when I'll really realize, you know, what happened and how special that day was. I know the uh, interaction after the game with your wife and your son will always be number one for you. But outside of that, what was the best interaction or conversation um, with someone who reached out to congratulate you? You know, I had several friends and, and former uh, teammates and former college teammates text me and call me. I think I had over 400 text messages after the game. So that was kind of crazy. But I think for me, like I said, it's it just goes back to family. I think to have that to share that moment with my mom and dad afterwards was was definitely something special. I mean, I think. They were the ones growing up that took me to practice every day and, and made a bunch of sacrifices for me growing up to, you know, to really, uh, you know, be able to play the game that I love. And, and just they they never hesitate to get to any game that they can. and They want to watch every chance they can. They watch every game at home when they're not there. They'll drive up one day and, and stay for the game and drive home eight hours that night just to see the one game. I think for my uh, – I think the memory of that goes back to my debut. I actually – with the rain situation was kind of delayed and in, in having my debut, but they were there in Kansas city for a couple of days. And then I pitched that night and they drove home the next day. And I think my mom and dad didn't sleep. They went straight to work. So the older I get, and now that I have a family, it really just means a whole lot more and to see them do that. And 
And now that I know that I would do that for my son, so it's pretty awesome. That's very special. Very special indeed. Now, you still had about a month left of the season after the no-hitter. I'm curious, what does a game like that do to the rest of the season? Does it make it harder or easier? I think it probably made it a little harder, but not not uh, not crazy. I think for me, having to you know interview all these times and really talk to all these people about it, but I wanted to pitch again. I think getting back on the mound was, was good for me. And obviously... It, it was tough getting back out there and any sort of, you know, hit was obviously worse than how the last outing went. Um, I think I actually gave up a home run in the first inning the next outing. So it was kind of like, well, okay. So not as good as last one, but that's okay. You know, obviously that can't, can't do it every time out, but just getting back in the normal swing of things and, and, and trying to finish the season strong and do what I could to help the team win was, was big for me, just getting back out there. And that no-hitter wasn't your only shining moment this season. You had a lot of great performances with the Cubs this year. What does this season mean for your career moving forward? You know, it was big for me, obviously. Coming into the season, I was, I guess you could say, fighting for the fifth spot in the rotation. I came in and pitched well in spring training, but, but, but you know, Chatwood came in and, and, and pitched just as well, if not better. And really, you know, he won that spot fair and square. I mean, it, it was definitely his spot to win. So I think it was... Just, you know, okay, well, we'll see. I can go to the bullpen and be a long guy, or I can, you know, fill in wherever I needed. Obviously, went home for quarantine. Uh, and then on the way back, what happened to Quintana was was uh, definitely kind of a freak accident and, and unfortunate. But, it, you know, it gave me the opportunity to fill in and make a couple starts. I think I had a couple of good ones to start the season. So it was it was good for me to get the confidence under my belt and, and know that I can do this at the big league level. So I think for me, it's just a season of, of staying healthy one and knowing that I can do this at this level. And at the end of the year, obviously, the numbers, I guess, probably weren't as great as I'd like. Um, but I think if you take a couple of bad starts out, um, I think they're a lot better. And I know that I can improve on a lot of things. So it's kind of encouraging for me to, to see that. Alec, one thing that really stood out to me was that just days after your no-hitter, when I'm sure everyone was wanting interviews and wanting your time, you made it a priority to virtually meet with patients at Advocate Children's Hospital in Oaklawn. How important is it for you to make sure you're giving back? Uh, you know, absolutely. I think like with me having a family now, I just, uh, I can't imagine having to deal with what those parents have to deal with. And then obviously what the kids are having to deal with, like imagining if my son had to be in a hospital or something like that for a long period because of, uh, of something serious, it gets to me and it, it's just, one of the things in the world that, that I really just have a soft spot for, I think children in hospitals and children's cancer and stuff like that. I think it's just, it's not fair to them to have to deal with that. Obviously, you know, I've lived, lived a, a, a lot longer life than they have and, and obviously had nothing serious happen to me. So I'm very fortunate. And I think it's, it's uh, very important to me to give back and, and, you know, do anything I can to try to make that time in there a little more special obviously the position that I'm in, you know, I think I have the opportunity to do that. So being on the same team as Rizzo and all that he does for that, uh, I think it's a good opportunity for me to kind of, I guess you could say ride his coattails and just kind of be there every time I can to help those guys out and, and really just, you know, be a special moment. If I can put a smile on a kid's face every day, then, uh, you know, I think it makes that day, makes that day perfect. So. From this point on, what goals have you set for yourself as a pro both on and off the field? Well, I think the number one goal for me, and it's, I guess it's a pretty cliche one, but I just want to stay healthy. The old slang, the best ability is availability. 
for me, I think I just want to be able to be ready to go, you know, every time, every time they want me to. And if I can, if I can be ready to go and, and give them my best effort, good opportunity to be in this league for a while, at least that that's just really my main goal is to, to be healthy and, and just do everything I can to help them win. I mean, I think it's a team game, obviously, and, and, you know, individual stats can kind of take over sometimes, but for me, I think it's just as long as we win that day, it's a success. I came over to the Cubs a year after they won a World Series, and I was actually with Kansas City the year after they won a World Series. So I've been a year behind two World Series rings, um, and I've never actually really won a ring in my whole life with sports. So I think it would be something that obviously I dream about every day and obviously something that every ball player dreams about. But, uh, you know, so for me, it's just about winning every day. So I think that's my main two goals is to win and just to stay healthy. All right. I kind of want to go back and talk about your journey to this point because it wasn't all glitz and glam from the start. It took a lot of hard work to get to this point. So let's start with you being a walk-on in college. Tell me about that experience. I was actually going to UT Martin to be an engineer. So I actually had given up baseball, didn't really have any offers out of high school, no division one offers really didn't even have any contact with any division one team. So it was kind of like, well, I guess, I guess it's ran its course. I'll go do what I need to do, get an education and, you know, kind of move on. And it was, was there for a couple of weeks, the team practicing uh, on the field. And it was, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, man, like, I think I can still do that. I think I can still compete at this level. And so just kind of contacted the coach and was like, Hey, is there any way I can come? Like, throw in front of you guys or, or pitch to some hitters or any sort of open tryout. And uh, it's actually perfect timing because he was like, yeah, I think in like, you know, a week or two, we have a tryout coming up for, for walk-on. So I want you to come on out and we'll see what you got. I hadn't thrown probably all summer. So it was like, oh, I need to go throw some. But uh, yeah, so I went through for them. And then uh, I, it went really well that day. Um, felt good. Threw a lot of strikes, I thought. So kind of a funny story. They really never told me that I made the team. They kind of just didn't tell me to stop coming. So it was kind of never that story of, of uh, you know, Hey, you know, the big story, I get the call that I made the team. It was just like, well, I guess I'll keep going. Nobody's told me anything different. So that's kind of a funny little aspect of it. And then you spent eight years in the minor leagues along the way. What would you say was the hardest moment or greatest adversity that you had to overcome to get to the point you are now? You know, I think the easy answer for that's uh, I had Tommy John surgery in, in uh, 2013, I think. Physically, it was tough, obviously, but I think mentally for me, it was, was uh, the tougher part. Uh, I, I actually got hurt on one pitch, like was feeling really great that day and threw one pitch and heard it pop. Um, so mentally for me, getting over that hump of kind of knowing that I'm healthy and, and knowing that I can do it, and that it's possible again was, was, was big. I think it was tough for me to kind of let go and, you know, relax myself and just throw for a while. Um, so I think the easy, easy answer for that toughest moment of my career was probably that. To overcome that, what were the specifics that you had to do to be able to find that mental toughness? For me, I've always been a very positive person and I've always been a kind of whatever happens, happens. Like if something bad happens, like, well, that was meant to happen. Everything happens for a reason. So let's do this. Like, let's attack this the best way we can. Can't change it now. So let's just figure out how we can get away from this and, and get better from this every day. So I think that helps me a lot. I feel like I've always just been a super competitor. Like, I feel like I've always been 
not the greatest, not don't throw the hardest, not the most athletic person out there, but I think I'm, I'm going to compete every day to the best of my ability. Hey, here you go. Hit it as far as you can and see what happens. Um, you know, I've had success with it so far. I think that's a trait that I think can hopefully carry me a long way. And I think it's been a trait that a lot of very, very good baseball players have had. So something that I'll try to keep my whole life. Who has been the most instrumental person that has helped you along the way? You know, I think it kind of transitioned. I think early on, like I said, my family, uh, you know, my mom and dad. And then, uh, you know, I had an older brother growing up. So obviously I was always playing with older kids. I think that helped. They never took it easy on me. I was, I never wanted them to take it easy on me. And I think obviously I just wanted to be with my brother. I wanted to play sports. I wanted to be outside. I wanted to do whatever he was doing. So, you know, obviously I think he helped early on. And then obviously in high school, my parents taking me everywhere and everywhere I needed to be, you know, practice to the game paying for this, paying for that, just so I could keep doing it. And then I was, as slowly as I got into pro ball and got married, I think my wife every day kind of maybe if I need to get home and have 10 minutes and get some stuff off my chest to her and tell her some things, you know, she's always been awesome. She's always listened. And I think it helps a lot that she, she's always loved baseball growing up. So she knows what she's talking about. She's very knowledgeable about it. So it helps that she kind of knows what I'm talking about and can kind of just kind of talk me down and, and help me center myself and, and try to keep, you know, baseball separate from the home life. I mean, I think that's a big thing for me is, you know, baseball happens at the field and I don't need to bring it home to, to my wife and not my kid. You know, he doesn't deserve that. They don't deserve that. Um, and they don't, they deserve my full undivided attention, you know, every chance that I could get to see them. So I think that's something I, I, I really want to take uh, the rest of my career. Things have really come full circle for you, Alec. I know you grew up attending games at Wrigley with your dad and your grandfather, and now you're playing for the Cubs at Wrigley. I mean, talk about storybook foreshadowing here. Have you ever just sat back and thought about this journey of yours? So it's kind of surreal. My, my grandfather was a Cubs fan. So obviously it, uh, you know, made my, my dad a Cubs fan. And then uh, my mom grew up in the Chicago area. So she kind of was a Cubs fan. So kind of just by a, uh, by a family tree became a Cubs fan. Uh, we moved and lived in Tennessee for pretty much my whole life. So uh, it wasn't as easy to get to Chicago and watch games, but we made it up quite a bit still. Obviously playing for the Cubs now has been really surreal and pitching in Wrigley field. So it, it, it's been a pretty cool, uh, I don't want to say ending because there's still hopefully a lot more to go, but uh, where I am now it is pretty special to, to be, you know, a Cubs fan growing up. Obviously it's been a special, special journey that I, you know, I will never forget. Um, and I know my grandfather's watching and, and I'm sure he's just as excited as everybody else that, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing. And the first time I stepped on the Wrigley field mound and saw that Harry Carey logo up on the, uh, you know, the press box was, was definitely a surreal moment. And, and I definitely had to step off and kind of, realize what's going on like what i've done what has happened no it's definitely not something that i've sat down and, and kind of realized everything um but I, I will um and i'm excited for that day but hopefully it's a it's a good bit from now and i get to play for quite a bit longer absolutely what would you say is your fondest memory from your childhood at wrigley you know i think just sitting up in the stands with my you know my grandpa and and my dad and my brother i mean i think sharing those moments with them uh, I think I remember it's crazy. One of my most vivid memories is sitting in the, in the stands and obviously in Wrigley, they have the big poles, you know, in the seats where they can kind of obstruct the view quite a bit. Um, and so I think there was a couple of times where we had seats that maybe weren't the best seats. Um, so you would miss, you know, maybe the hitter hitting the bitch because the poles in the way, I think that's, 
that's kind of a Wrigley Field landmark that that happens in the stadium. But that's one of my most vivid memories is the kind of the poles being in the way of watching the game. But uh, that was a long time ago. How enjoyable is it to have those memories with your family from your childhood and to also now be able to make new ones in that same space as a new father? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, this year, obviously, uh, unfortunately, with everything going on in the world, Carter really wasn't able to get to uh, Wrigley. Hopefully, you know, we can kind of maybe dig our way out of this as a country and we can get back to more normal life and we can get back to fans in the stadium and I'm excited for, for him to be able to sit in a game and, and hear the crowd and, you know, watch a baseball game in Wrigley Field because it's definitely a special place in my heart um, that I have a lot of memories growing up. Just hopefully a place that, that, that he will be able to soon tell somebody else in an interview about memories he had growing up of his dad playing baseball at Wrigley. So I'm definitely excited. And then finally, Alec, I know it's got to feel really good to be at home right now with your wife and your son. How much are you enjoying having this time during the offseason with them? Yeah, it's obviously very special. And I think with everything going on, we're kind of pretty much stuck in the house still. Um, But, you know, I'm okay with that. I just want to, you know, lay in the ground and play with toys and, and, you know, just make him smile and laugh. I think that's every day I wake up and that's that's my goal. I'm I'm definitely enjoying every moment with them and and know that, uh, you know, there's going to be times where I'm gone for a week at a time. So. You know, when I can be here every day is definitely special and just trying to enjoy the offseason as much as I can. It's not the longest, um, so you try to soak up every moment. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time, and we wish you the best of luck throughout your career. Yeah, no, thank you guys. Um, I really appreciate that, and, and I had a lot of fun today. It was definitely uh, good questions and, and kind of a, a, a good, uh, good little change of pace. This has been Unrivaled's Inside the Jersey podcast, giving fans a refreshing look at sports. I'm Lindsay Smith, and don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Look for Unrivaled's next Inside the Jersey profile of a likable professional athlete coming soon.